As we do so, we wish to listen to it as the mirror of the heart. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, for through the law comes knowledge of sin. Secondly, we also wish to listen to the law of God from the perspective of it being a witness to the righteousness of Christ. As Paul continues in Romans 3, 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Hear God's law from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. As we ponder how this applies to our lives we see that we fall short of the perfection that the Lord requires in his law. And yet we can also read this knowing that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilled all of these commandments perfectly, and he did so for us. Not only did he do so in his life, but also in his death as our substitute, He was punished for our transgressions. And so we may read Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, as an assurance of pardon for all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all their sins and for the imputation of perfect righteousness. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
And with his wounds, we are healed. Let's sing. Please open your Bibles with me to our scripture reading, first from Psalm 23. We read this psalm in connection with our text of the sermon this morning, which is the words of the Lord Jesus, I am the good shepherd. So Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Please turn with me now to John chapter 10. John 10 will read verses 1 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the Lord Jesus, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, all who came before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Not of this fold. He's speaking there about the people of Israel. He has other sheep that are not of the people of Israel. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So far, our scripture reading. Let's sing in preparation for the hearing of God's word proclaimed. Psalm 28, the stanzas 1 and 5. 11 to 18, or sorry, 11 to 15 of John chapter 10. The sermon will also touch on the surrounding verses, but these verses will be the focus of the sermon. John 10, verse 11 to 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have to tell you that there are struggles and sorrows in this life. I don't have to tell you that there are hurts and hardships. Many of you are acutely aware of this. You're experiencing it right now, or you have just recently. Some of you maybe have been spared a great deal of hardship and sorrow that so many others have not. Your lives have been relatively comfortable so far. Over the last few weeks, the coronavirus has been causing quite a stir globally, hasn't it? And now it's here in Canada. It's confronting the world with the fact of our mortality. The reality that not one of us is immune to death. It's a reminder that we are vulnerable. We are not all-powerful or indestructible. We are mortal, susceptible to disease and death. But the good news that God's word brings us is that Christ has delivered his church 
from the sting of death. He has destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And so Jesus Christ has the power to deliver all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We've seen that in the world, that so many are slaves, really, to the fear of dying. Christ's power over death and the way that he delivers his church, his believing people from slavery to the fear of death, makes up the heart of our sermon text this morning. Our text presents Christ as a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and it declares to us that it's this very act that makes Christ the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus himself speaks to us in our text this morning. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And with these words, our Savior points us to his death on the cross as the ultimate proof of his love for his people. So with the eye of faith upon our once crucified but now risen and reigning Savior, Let's give attention to his words in our text from John 10, focusing on the verses 11 to 15. I would ask that you keep your Bibles open before you as we move through this text. First of all, we need to notice that our text is part of a longer speech or sermon by the Lord Jesus. This speech goes back to the beginning of chapter 10. It follows the events of chapter 9. There John tells us of Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, a man born blind. Among other things, chapter 9 highlights the growing hatred of the Jewish religious leaders toward Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 22. The Jews, chapter 9, verse 22, towards the end, the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And that's how it went for the healed man. He testifies his belief that Jesus is from God. Verse 33. And so the rulers of the Jews cast him out of the synagogue. Verse 35. And then from here, the the Holy Spirit, by whose inspiration John writes, he turns our attention immediately to Jesus' words in chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Perhaps Jesus is partly critiquing the conduct of the Jewish religious rulers in the previous chapter, chapter 9. There they're acting towards God's people as thieves and robbers rather than as shepherds. At any rate, there's certainly a contrast between how the Jewish leaders are behaving and how they should behave. Do they not see themselves as shepherds of God's people? And yet their conduct is nothing new under the Son of Israel. Long before this generation, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, verse 2, Son of man, God said, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? Ezekiel 34, verse 6, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So how would the Lord respond to this situation? Ezekiel 34, verse 10. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. So how would the Lord do this? Well, the Lord says that he will do it through the Messiah. Both I myself and my servant David will be their shepherd. Verse 15 I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Verse 23, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now it's hard to miss the similarity between what God says through Ezekiel and what Jesus is saying in John 10. But why does this matter? Well, when Jesus then says in verse 11 of John 10, I am the good shepherd, his language isn't just metaphorical, it's biblical. He's proclaiming that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of Israel's restoration by the Lord's Messiah. Maybe you remember that time when Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, as it's recorded in Luke chapter 4. They gave him opportunity to read from the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news and the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus declared to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The significance of what Jesus says in our text is like that. Here it's as if he takes up the scroll of God's word and reads from Isaiah 40. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Then he turns to Ezekiel 34 and reads, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And he pauses and looks around. And he says, Today, these scriptures are being fulfilled. I am the Good Shepherd. What an impact this should have made on Jesus' listeners. It had been hundreds of years since those prophecies were spoken by Isaiah and Ezekiel to the lost sheep of Israel. Could it really be that this was now going to happen? Was Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, that God had promised to send as Israel's savior and shepherd? Verse 
And as we read hints of in our text, most of the Jews at this time were in spiritual darkness. Satan was doing his utmost to oppose Jesus' mission, and the Spirit wasn't yet poured out in Pentecost fullness. So it's not surprising what we read in verses 19 to 21. There was again a division among the Jews. They couldn't make up their minds about Jesus. More precisely, they couldn't make up their minds whether to trust him as the shepherd sent by God for their salvation. And this presents us with a challenge today too, doesn't it? Do we trust Christ to be our shepherd? Do we trust him that he will indeed provide us with everything we need for body and soul? How much does Christ care about his sheep? With what kind of love does Christ love his sheep? To what extent will he go for their well-being? Well, Jesus' next words are calculated to meet such questions. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says it again, verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Says Jesus, here is the evidence of how much I care about my sheep. This is the proof that I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Christ is saying, this is how I'm going to fulfill those promises in all their fullness. I am the shepherd that God promised to your forefathers. And I'm going to demonstrate my father's love in a more glorious way than they could have even imagined. I will lay down my life for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, have you noticed how quickly children develop a sense of ownership? How quickly doesn't a child learn to say, mine, about something? From an early age, we know what it is to own something, don't we? And as we get older, our concept of ownership just gets fuller. And often, we value our own possessions more highly than those of others. Jesus appeals to this basic human instinct in verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He values his own life more than he cares about the sheep. Most people would do the same in his shoes. So why does Jesus mention this? Well, evidently the point here is one of contrast. Is Jesus like the hired hand who has no special loyalty to sheep he doesn't own? Absolutely not. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is like a shepherd who owns his sheep. He cares for the sheep as his very own possession. And yet this is just the beginning of what Jesus is saying. Because he says more than that he is a shepherd. He is the shepherd. 
the most shepherdly of shepherds, and he is the good shepherd beyond comparison with the best of shepherds. So what is it that makes Jesus the good shepherd? Says Jesus, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verses 11 and 15. A hired hand won't risk his life for the safety of sheep he doesn't own. A good shepherd might risk his life for the safety of sheep he owns. But the good shepherd doesn't just risk his life. He lays it down on purpose. Not because he owns the sheep, but because he loves the sheep. A good shepherd might lose his life in an effort to protect his sheep from danger, say from a bear or a lion. But that would be an accident. And it might say something about how much he valued his sheep. But he wouldn't go after the lion intending to get killed, would he? That's not his game plan, and it's not the most effective way to look after sheep either. But the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. His death is intentional. It's on purpose. What is the purpose for which Jesus lays down his life? Well, he does this for one thing, to deliver his sheep from danger. The sheep are vulnerable, subject to disease and death. The good shepherd voluntarily endures death in their place. By laying down his life for the sheep, he acts as a substitute. As it says elsewhere in, this, in, in Scripture, this substitution of life for life is, sorry, elsewhere in Scripture, this substitution of life for life is pictured as an atoning sacrifice, isn't it? Indeed, John 1 verse 29 says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ, the good shepherd, is the Lamb who was slain. The Apostle John combines these two images of Christ strikingly in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. Speaking of the multitude of the redeemed who pass through the great tribulation into glory, he says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb will be their shepherd. And this isn't an accident either, or a chance coincidence. No, Jesus laid down his life as the lamb of God, precisely so that he would be their shepherd into eternity. Look at the end of verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's these words that Jesus speaks immediately before he speaks of himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. This especially is the purpose for which Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. Not only to deliver 
them from danger, but that they may have life and have it abundantly. But what is this life and what is abundant life? Is it merely deliverance from death? It is much more than that. The life which Jesus obtains by his death is eternal life. And this eternal life is not simply the eternal absence of death. It is something far more positive. As Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in John 17, this is eternal life. That they know the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Eternal life is to know God in all his mercy and love. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep so that in the words of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This was Jesus' intention in laying down his life. Not only is Jesus' death intentional, it's also effective. God rescues and provides for his sheep precisely through the death of Christ. This is how he makes it happen, how he has made it happen on the cross. This is God's way of rescuing and providing for his people. And that comes out in verse 18. Jesus will lay down his life for the sheep because that is what God the Father commissioned him to do. Verse 18, the end, this charge I have received from my Father. So what are we to make of all this? What is it that God is saying to us by these words today? In the first instance, Jesus' words were spoken to the Pharisees and other religious leaders of the Jews. And their response to his words confirmed their blindness and guilt as they rejected his claim to be the Messiah. So in the first place, Jesus demands a response from us. What is your response to Jesus' claims? Do you hear his voice in the preaching of his word? Do you listen in order to follow Christ and worship him? As Jesus says a little further in chapter 10 at verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So Jesus' words are spoken first as a testimony against the Pharisees, but they were recorded in John's gospel and in our Bibles for another purpose as well. John tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to put these things down in writing, quote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These words were put into the Holy Scripture for you and me, so that you and I may believe that it is Jesus that we need above all else, so that by believing in him, we may participate in the abundant life that our good shepherd obtained for us by the laying down of his own life. Why did so many of the Jews in Jesus' day reject him? One reason 
was that he was not the kind of savior they were looking for. This is the same reason many in our day reject Christ. They're not looking for a savior to deal with their sin. They say, we need someone to save us from the injustice and the suffering in this world. And they do. We need someone to save us from the financial burdens and the coronaviruses in this world. And they do. And you Christians are telling us we need to be saved from our sin. Come on. To those who are perishing, the message of Jesus is insanity. That Jesus came to save sinners from the eternal wrath of God by bearing that wrath and laying down his life as a sacrifice in their place. What kind of message is this for people living in today's world of 2020? How does this help us in our hurts and hardships, in our sufferings and sorrows? Loved ones, the Bible presents us with a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. With a savior who died on a wooden cross. And it uh, declares to us that it is this very act that makes Christ the good shepherd that his bruised and battered and burdened human sheep need. Do we recognize that this is exactly the Savior we need? Are we convinced that this is the kind of salvation we need? May God open our eyes and hearts to see and believe the matchless love of Christ and the laying down of his life for his sheep. Because when we know this love of Christ and love him in return, then we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Then, I am sure that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, beholding God's love and the giving up of his son for me, beholding Jesus' love and the laying down of his life for me, this gives me the assurance and the comfort that will sustain carry me both in the prime of life and at the door of death. God's love in Christ crucified sets me free from slavery to the fear of death. As scripture says in Hebrews 2 verse 14 to 15, Christ partook of our humanity that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Isn't this the meaning of those words in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Loved one, what is your comfort in life and in death? Is it that you belong to Christ, the Good Shepherd? You need to know the biblical gospel isn't 
that you will have health and wealth in this life. Being a Christian won't spare you from disease or death. It won't protect you from the coronavirus. That's not because it's beyond Jesus' power to do so. Oh no. Rather, it's because this is not Jesus' primary mission. This is not what, Jesus, what makes Jesus the good shepherd. Jesus was sent by the Father to lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus was sent by the Father to save his people from their sin, from the very root and cause of death, that enmity towards God, that hatred of God. He came to save his people from that. And the gospel is that Jesus didn't only intend to do this. The gospel, the truly good news, is that Jesus actually accomplished it. He did lay down his life for the sheep. He bore their curse and died their death. And on the third day, he arose from the dead. He took up his life again, just as planned so that now he's ascended to the Father's right hand and all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him for the sake of his church. Because of this gospel, because of the matchless love of our good shepherd in laying down his life for ours, all who trust in Christ can face both disease and death knowing, confident, that something far better awaits beyond the grave. Trusting Christ, we may rejoice and be thankful in all circumstances. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, this gospel is such that it is worth sharing, isn't it? The good shepherd himself has said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Let this be an encouragement to spread the word of Jesus. His sheep will hear his voice. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Therefore, let us ever take to heart that following the Good Shepherd is the only way of eternal life with God, while those who reject him must perish eternally in everlasting condemnation. May we be his instruments in snatching his other sheep from that eternal fire and introducing them to the abundant life that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God and our good shepherd in Jesus Christ, your love toward us is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Your thoughts are not like our thoughts. Your ways are higher than ours. Before sin and sickness had entered this world, before disease and death were known to humanity, incomprehensible as it is to our finite minds, you had determined in your triune sovereignty to ransom for yourself 
an innumerable multitude of worshiping saints from every tribe and tongue on earth by the precious blood of your beloved and only Son, Jesus Christ. Before any one of us was born and had done either good or bad, you had planned from eternity to send your Son as the Good Shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep on the cross at Jerusalem, to lay it down in order to take it up again and make them partakers of abundant life, eternal life, and the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For such sovereign grace, we, your blood-bought people, the sheep of your pastor and the flock of your care, for such sovereign grace, we respond in our hearts with praise and adoration. And Lord, not only did you plan this from eternity, but you also announced and in due time accomplished your gracious purpose in time. When the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your son to be born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the condemnation of that righteous law on account of willful rebellion. At, that, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, among whom all of us once were. You sent your son into this world, not first of all to condemn the world, but that he might bear the condemnation of this world's sin in his own body on the cross, so that the record of debt which stood against us might be canceled because paid by him in full, so that by his poverty we might become rich, that by his emptying of himself we might be filled with abundant life. You sent your Son into this world so that whoever believes in him should be delivered from the wrath to come and gain entrance into eternal life by the Savior's merits. Father, as we are confronted with our human vulnerability and mortality, and as we experience novel circumstances due to the impact of the novel coronavirus on our national and global communities, would you let the eternal and stabilizing realities of the gospel sink deeply into our hearts and steady us with your presence and promises? We pray the same for all our brothers and sisters, each one of your sheep. And we pray that through this, your name might also be glorified by many more of your sheep being called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Help us in word and deed to bear witness to the perishing world around us of your matchless, death-defeating love in Christ, the Good Shepherd, who lay down his life for his sheep. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let us sing our amen, singing hymn 25.